It's time for Off the Clock with Dean Kucher, the only podcast that brings you business bronc conversations with phenomenal guests, as well as the kind of fun and games that you have come to expect from the Off the Clock events in our Swigert Hall home. Join host Dr. Gene Kucher each month as he connects with three guests about topics of interest in business that complement what's happening in the classroom and in the field. Now get ready for Off the Clock with Dean Kucher, brought to you by the Norm Brodsky College of Business at Ryder University, right here on 1077 The Bronx, the 2023 winner of the IBS Media Award for Best College Radio Station of the Year. Welcome to Off the Clock with me, Dean Gene Kucher. One of the reasons I like doing this podcast is because with each episode, we get to meet a few more members of the Norm Brodsky College of Business community. Well, in this two-part episode series, we are going to be focused purely on the faculty. Technically, faculty are off the clock for these two months, but I know just how active and engaged they are with everything related to teaching, uh, to research, and to value added activity and service for the university. But they're also very involved with their professional associations, the network of other experts in their fields, uh, finding ways to translate their expertise to applied projects for industry and community. And hopefully they're taking some time to recharge and refresh and engage with the things that make them happy and whole. So today we're asking some faculty members, what have you been doing over your summer break? Let's get started. We have a special situation today where we are spending all three segments with some superstars in the Brodsky College faculty, and that would be Dr. Zanuba Mishra and Kristen McCarthy. I've really been looking forward to having them on the podcast. Dr. Mishra is the chair of the marketing department and an associate professor of marketing. She teaches consumer behavior, digital marketing, marketing web analytics, and marketing research. She's also the faculty advisor to our American Marketing Association, or AMA, chapter. Her recent research is focused on wearable technology and how it impacts our psychology about adopting healthy habits. Dr. Kristen McCarthy is director of the healthcare management program and assistant professor in the management department. Her research focuses on population and public health, social and environmental determinants of health, and urban health issues. Doctors McCarthy and Mishra recently had their article entitled, Where's the Need? Food Assistance Resources, Placement and Access Challenges, Lessons from the Field, Accepted for Publication in the Journal of Public Health. Here is our interview with Kristen and Anuba. I'm joined right now with Dr. Kristen McCarthy and Dr. Anuba Mishra. These are two beloved faculty members here in the Norm Brodsky College of Business. I've been trying to get them on the podcast for a while, and you know it's been a success here for the month of August. We're recording this for everyone listening in July, so we are in the middle of the summer, and we're checking in with faculty members to find out what they're doing over their summer breaks. Uh, and I think that everyone will be surprised just to hear how busy they stay. So let's start with that question. Dr. Mishra, I'm going to start with you. Tell us a little bit about how you're keeping busy over the summer. Well, I have been in academia for quite some years now, and every time summer starts, the thrill that we faculty members have, oh, it's summer, and then it goes by so quickly because uh, the start of the summer is always, you know, wrapping up the semester, uh, trying to go back to the notes of what I want to do in the future, what I don't want to do, making changes to the courses, trying to find new things that could be added to the courses. So the first few weeks are really just wrapping the semester down. 
then after that is when the research actually kicks in. Most of the time, it's also wrapping up of some of the projects that started during the semester, because during the semester, the time is so busy for us that um, it's difficult uh, to, you know, bring home the projects that we are working on. So usually I work on those projects. Uh, in this case, this past summer, Dr. Kristen McCarthy has led the project that we will talk about uh, a little bit later. So luckily, um, she, she initiated the review and resubmit of this, and uh, we kind of looked a little bit into that. There is a conference paper that I got accepted based on the you know, use of a wearable technology in different areas, such as sports area, our fitness, and so on and so forth. So working on the presentation for that, and then another article that talks about the goal relevance of using trackable variable technology and how it impacts our cycle of indulging into more healthy behavior that might not actually be tracked by our uh, devices, but because we get feedback on how our health is being impacted, we try to get into more healthy habits. Mm -hmm. So um, those were the three main things in terms of research projects that um, I've worked so far. And now it's time to get back into the semester again. It'll be so here before again, you know it. I know. So it's again the final preparation for what's coming in the fall semester for classes, for case studies that I want to discuss, for uh, projects that I would want to develop for my students. So summer always, always goes by way quickly. That goes by quick, right? And I hope you're taking a few minutes to breathe here and there among all of that. Um, Anu, but before I move on to Kristen, just you mentioned there was a conference in there. I'm assuming there's going to be people who are listening who are not familiar with the whole research and conference process. So I'm going to stop and ask a few questions along the way. But um, when is this conference that you got a paper accepted for? In September. So this is this is a paper that Dr. Rufer and I are working on, and this is a sports marketing conference. Um, in September in Florida, uh, we got our poster accepted. This is an idea that is in the beginning exploratory stages. Mm -hmm. So we want to get the feedback in order to develop the study in, in a way that is meaningful to the community and valuable to a journal article. So we are working on the structure of the theoretical model for this paper. Wonderful. That's great. And I hope what comes across there is the collaborative nature that our faculty have. You know, Dr. Mishra just mentioned working with Dr. Rufer, and of course, now she's worked with Dr. McCarthy. So I'm going to move over, Kristen, to you. Tell us what's been keeping you busy for the summer so far. Similar to, to Anuba, you know, it's when it, your semester ends, it's a lot of wrapping things up and kind of plotting a little bit about what you're going to do in the fall and then administratively doing a lot of the work for the program. And that kind of eats up a bit of, you know, May, the end of the semester and then starting. But most of my work in the summer and this this year in particular has been around research and tying up the research. So this paper that Anuba and I worked on together was a collaborative effort with a community-based organization that we work with in Trenton, the Trenton Health Team. And the survey work we had done probably about a year and a half ago, it just took a while to 
get the paper written and then we got a revise and resubmit, which is basically like a re-edit. And so we worked on that over the summer and got it in and thankfully it was accepted, which is great. And then similarly, I also have two things accepted at a conference coming up the uh, APHA, which is the American Public Health Association in November. So I'm giving a, um, a talk on um, some other work we've been doing in, in the Trenton area, as well as a poster. So I have those two things percolating and I'm writing one more manuscript as we speak. And then I'm going to have to put that down because it's going to be time to get ready for classes. But, uh, but mostly research. And, um, and in particular for me, I'm working on my application for tenure. So that, that takes a lot of time. Right. Well, and congratulations for all of the above, really. I know you both have a lot uh, going on. And, and I'm very excited to dig into a little bit to this recent publication that the two of you collaborated on, you just mentioned. Can you give us like a, a high level uh, summary of what this paper is about and why it's important to you and you think to readers? So we work with different nonprofit organizations as, you know, helping them as the consultant role, answering any sort of questions that they have. And so around 2019, we were working with our partners that we called the Trenton Food Stakeholders, which was a group of very small nonprofits who work around food insecurity in the Trenton area, mostly uh, provision of uh, food pantries, mobile food pantries, the soup kitchen, across the gamut of what we call charitable food um, assistance mm. groups. And the question was whether or not for those folks that families that needed help um, securing food, were the organizations doing a good good job? Were we meeting the needs of the community? And so we developed a survey and we um, executed it, which was difficult because then COVID happened. But the paper was really designed for small groups, small organizations want to know, like, where's the best and most effective places to, to put our resources. So for example, a lot of the food pantries move to mobile food, mobile delivery distribution. Like where do we, where are the neighborhoods that need it the most? And for, for those groups, we basically did some analysis that we basically came down to like, if you use this couple of factors on a census track level, you're very likely to find need so that it would, other groups could, could use it without having to do a big survey. You know, you could use a couple of variables and pinpoint the likelihood of need. Well, that sounds like a meaningful and fascinating work. And when we come back from this break, we can hear just a little bit more about that and then move on from there. And we'll be right back with the Off the Clock podcast, only on 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. And we're back with Off the Clock with Dean Kuchar here on 1077 The Bronx, the 2023 winner of the IBS Media Award for Best College Radio Station of the Year. I'm back now for more discussion with Dr. Kristen McCarthy and Dr. Anuba Mishra about their research into food insecurity in Trenton neighborhoods, which will be included in their article accepted for publication in the Journal of Public Health. They dive deeper here into the survey they used and their two-part research question of whether the charitable food services provided in Trenton are adequate to meet the needs of food insecure households. And furthermore, are there unmet needs among geographic pockets of people who can't access or don't know about these available services? Let's keep going with these researchers. I'm happy to be back on Off the Clock with Drs. McCarthy and Mishra. We're talking about a fascinating publication that they have coming out related to food insecurity in Trenton. And I wanted to pick up where we left off 
and talk about some conclusions that came out of the questions that you asked, what you learned, uh, and also a little bit about what you learned as researchers in this process. So uh, Dr. McCarthy, can we pick up with that? What are some of the findings that came out of the study and how you got there? So it's, it's a, it was an interesting working group of, of um, nonprofit organizations in Trenton because what we found before we actually launched the survey was there's actually a lot of charitable, you know, nonprofit groups who are concerned about uh, access to food and food insecurity in the community. And, you know, there's probably 30 different organizations all operating in the sort of Trenton community. And the question was, what is everybody doing? Um, where should we go placing if, uh, you know, one of the food pantries wanted to open another location, where to go? And then it was interesting because a lot of folks didn't really know what everybody was doing. And what happens in sort of charitable food organization sort of ecosystem is that often people, organizations doing the right thing, they want to open a food pantry and it's just about hit or miss. And it often is, it's like if you're associated with a faith-based organizations, maybe you'll grab a couple of folks in the in that community and start a food pantry in the basement of the, or food distribution or somehow. And so you can have areas of the community that are oversaturated with free food resources and then other areas that are, that are sort of undersaturated and, and sort of basically being missed. And so some of the conclusions were what can, what tools can we learn from doing this project that not only informed our partners, our nonprofit partners about where's good placement, you know, are we adequately servicing our community, um, but also it's a good sort of lessons learned for other organizations that can take that information and say, well, I know that if I look at the census track information and I look at um, by, by neighborhoods on census tracks, mm -hmm. that I can get information from the government via, you know, the U.S. Uh, census information about the number of households that actually receive SNAP, which is food stamps, and very low income. And if you have these two sort of variables, you can begin to highlight, you can map your geographic area that are sort of, we'll call them um, hot zones, that are very likely to have food insecure households. And that was kind of our, our lesson, I know. And Anuba was really helpful in, in designing the survey, which was, was a difficult survey because you're trying to reach households and folks that um, are, are difficult to reach for a variety of reasons. And I don't know if Anuba, you wanted to talk a little bit about the survey. Sure. Um, so this area is, of, of course, uh, Kristen's expertise, and she knows so much about it. When I got roped into it, there were some facts that really, uh, you know, stood out for me. So if I can just read a script from the manuscript, sure. you know, was that, you know, according to the USDA, 657,320 people, including 175,830 children in New Jersey were food insecure in 2020. That is about, you know, one in 12 households that represents food insecurity. Mm -hmm. So this is not an area that is minimal, that this exists. And to do something about it was a really um, fulfilling project for me too. And so when we started working with our community partners in order to reach out to these people, we wanted it to be as scientifically <laughs> proof as possible so that yeah. it could be replicated by other areas within the United States. Right. So we did geo 
segmentation or hierarchical clustering, where we divided Trenton into many different clusters based on variables that are available to us through the census data, such as the percentage of households that are single parent with kids less than 18 years of old, percentage of households that use other um, uh, uh, help such as SNAP or food insecurity, right. percentage of household that does not speak English as their first language. And it was a really eye-opening experience to see how different variables were mapped on, could be mapped onto the Trenton map to see that clusters arise from them. Yeah. And we wanted to collect data from each of these clusters to represent the entire population to, or, to understand what kind of households also need these assistance or food. Uh, are there specific health needs? Are there religious needs? Are there food needs uh, specific to us uh, to a disease or a health concern, if you may, that needs to be served to these people? So though we started with the thought of understanding what areas would be the best areas mm -hmm. to have these food services available, we learned a lot in the process about the underlying factors that, that are responsible to these food insecurities in the process. And so what we learned as a result of all of this was that if we are to find about variables, yeah. these were uh, people who were high to moderate to high level of food insecurity, right. SNAP, was one of the main uh, indicators that we can use um, to find these people. And they mostly consisted of um, uh, women, infant, and children. Mm -hmm. um, there were also significant barriers to accessing these free food. Uh, there were days which were transportation or knowledge of um, free food services or availability of, uh, of food. And there were certain days, say for example, mornings, the early mornings were the most used times that they could access this services. There were days, so the start of the weekend uh, and Saturdays, but not Sundays, where the timings where these peoples were most likely to use these services. So uh -huh. bigger prop, you know, awareness that these are the times that are available to us. Transportation mode came out mm -hmm. to be one of the reasons of a barrier to access these services. Right. So um, we, uh, we were able to create how can we make these more accessible to what kind of households? It sounds like a wealth of information that came out of this. Um, just a couple of follow-up questions. I'm assuming this this information has been fed back to some of the partners that you've worked mm -hmm. with in the community. Um, so that was one question. And then also just like, what are the next steps from here? Are you going to, are there follow-up studies or, you know, I, I love the idea of replications across different uh, areas. So what are some of your thoughts about those? Kristen? Yeah, so we definitely, you know, we fed back, but interestingly enough, I was going to bring this up, uh, we, it became a launching pad, actually, mm -hmm. for, for further research. So one of the things that we did next with the same group of folks, I'll expand a little bit uh, and got some funding for, is we developed a Mercer County, countywide food index which actually um, food insecurity index. And they we were able to map 
all the counties, 263 counties, uh, 263 block groups, which is, is a smaller unit of analysis than the census tract. So by block group, we were able to rank all the block groups in um, Mercer County on these. It, it was very similar way we did it with this um, principal component analysis, which is, you know, basically throwing a lot of these variables. We started off with like 24, got down to nine. And then the most important variables that would be able to identify neighborhoods with high likelihood of food insecurity and created the next study that we're writing up right now in terms of the research. But really, it was very novel, though, because it's very rare to be able to get enough of the publicly available data at the block group level that correlate, highly correlate with food insecurity. So what we were able to do was look at, again, looking at these sort of cluster analysis. And the question was that we know that what drives food insecurity in one neighborhood are not the same factors that drive food insecurity in a different neighborhood. Yeah. So we are able to look at these different clusters of, of neighborhoods, and we uh, could see that certain areas that maybe had very high rates of limited English proficiency, low SNAP, low food stamp utilization, and high rates of food insecurity. We know a one, one thing that we should probably do is get more SNAP eligibility. You know, these are eligible households, and they're not utilizing it. So, um, so we partnered with the United Way to run increased SNAP enrollment in food stamps. So that's just one example. Well, it sounds like there are uh, a lot of takeaways from this, and it sounds to me like you've generated a lot of ideas for follow-up work. And we'll be right back with the Off the Clock podcast, only on 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. And we're back with Off the Clock with Dean Kuchar here on 1077 The Bronx, the 2023 winner of the IBS Media Award for Best College Radio Station of the Year. And in this segment, Dr. Anuba Mishra and Dr. Kristen McCarthy share more about their research research into food insecurity in Trenton neighborhoods, specifically how their project had immediate impact for their community partners, how a writer student was able to use the research for her senior business honors thesis, and how the online survey was attacked by bots. I am back with Kristen McCarthy and Anuba Mishra continuing to talk about their research. One thing we really like to do with Engage Learning is to involve students in research here. Can you talk about that? Were there students involved in any of this uh, important and complex work? Uh, yes, we actually had a senior, um, senior, a student who was in her senior year, and she used working on this project with us as part of her um, senior honors thesis. And um, so she worked on two things. Um, one, she was doing, she was very interested in understanding the people who took the survey who indicated that they were um, not able to access going to the food pantry and or free food resources because they feared for their personal safety. Um, and so she was very curious about how the role of uh, neighborhood level crime mm. impacts people's feelings about going outside to get, you know, help getting, you know, going to the food pantry or picking up your free food um, that maybe was distributed, um, at, uh, you know, at the neighborhood level and their, and how that impacts their overall health and well-being. So she did a little qualitative study where she was um, able to contact, because one of the questions was, you know, can we call you later? Or, you know, if you ever have any questions, you call us, but can we contact you? So for all those folks that indicated, yeah, it was fine to contact them and indicated that that um, safety was a concern, 
and then did an inter did interview phone interviews with them yeah. to begin to understand how the role of neighborhood safety should be looked at um, as the contributing factor to not being able to access needed resources. So that was super interesting. But the other thing she worked on, and Anub and I were talking about this, but we were, um, our survey was done online for the most part. Yeah. Um, and there was a gift card. Um, so I think the, there was some sort of year, if you, if you finish the survey, you um, got eligible for a gift card lottery and we would send them $20 for 10 people that got chosen at, at random. But interestingly enough, we, this is happening more and more and more and more with all these type of online survey works is that we got attacked by bots, our oh survey, which bots are these like hackers that basically um, answer this. And it's all done like by computer. So they answer the question, they answer the survey questions. Like uh, they put in like, how many did they put in? Remember also we had like 300 surveys came yeah. in online. We're like, uh-oh, something's wrong. And so we, um, so they're answering it, you know, to get, to get the gift card and I to get see. it mailed somewhere. Right. Um, and so uh, we had to go through um, a variety of steps and, and Lillian was a um, business analytic major uh -huh. and I think, well, and I think supply chain. So she had the analytic skills. So she and, and some folks at Trenton Health Team who were the data people uh, basically had to come up with this template of how to figure out what who what were bot responses and what and was what valid were legit uh -huh, and uh -huh. then um we had to figure out like um how to protect ourselves after that so it was is really interesting i actually wanted to write a paper about revenge of the bots or something right. <laughs> and i knew but you've done survey research before has that anything like that ever happened to you um, no, uh, not yet. Uh, uh, this, this, the way that it is, this was different was also because if we do survey research where we do snowball sampling, then there yeah. is always a known individual who is asking for that. That, or if we employ um, uh, organizations such as Amazon MTARP, then they have a panel that they go through. But this, we, the reason why this research is so novel and uh, nice is that we were really reaching out to people who needed yeah. food assistance right and what was the way that we learned about this was also very interesting for a very short period within a very short period of time say for six minutes there were 300 surveys that came in and not all were single lined as we say in research you know one 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 or one two three they were, they were patterns mm. of one three four six and so on but we mm. also had some short answer questions in there such mm. as zip code or your zone area that you live in so we could understand the clusters yeah. so we had to actually dig in deep to understand what differentiates a bot answer as compared to a to an individual actually responding to the survey so uh, uh, a scary but a good experience yeah. you know well, i love that oh, sorry yeah. I was going to say, I love that what I'm what I'm hearing with people who are listening who don't do research or survey, let alone survey research on a regular basis, or just hearing a little bit about the behind the scenes, you know, and that's why I also think that it's great that our students can work with faculty experts on some of these things. So speaking of behind the scenes, tell me anything else that maybe you learned as researchers um, in this particular project or anything that you can share that you think maybe people who don't do research on a regular basis might not might not think or might not expect. I think, um, Anuba, you go first. <laughs> uh, for me, I 
uh, saw firsthand the passion uh, of people who are working for the betterment of our community. Mm. There was no funding available for this. We were trying to reach out uh, really um, a population that was difficult to reach out to. And yet everybody involved in the project had their full dedication of what can be done in order to get some meaningful answers that can help them help us serve them better. So um, it, was, uh, it was a great experience that way. Wonderful. And yeah. the ideas that would come out from all different community partners uh, in order to make this accessible, in order to, uh, uh, you know, just make this happen. Yeah, wonderful. And how about you, uh, Kristen? Yeah, I mean, very similar to what Anuba said. And, um, you know, often we we don't realize the challenges that, um, you know, vulnerable folks face every day. And you have to be mindful too that, you know, we can't just go in and, and survey them or ask them questions. There has to be a meaningful reason as to why we're doing this. And if it doesn't make, if it doesn't lead to meaningful change for the community, then in, in our opinions, it's, it's not worth it. So what we love about this work is working with a lot of small nonprofit community-based groups because they want to make a difference and we want to help them make a difference. And so that's what I find so passionate about you know the doing this type of work is that we're, we're we're making we can help them these wonderful groups make meaningful change right and right and i hope that anybody who's listening can continue to get the word out to other types of organizations or potential community partners we have so much expertise on our faculty um when it comes to uh when it comes to researching topics and how uh these can uh these can improve societal important societal uh, priorities. So, and this is a great example of that. Um, I hope that there's something you're doing that brings you some personal refresh. You know, you're able to refresh and energize and over the summer too. Can you give us a peek into anything outside of your professional life just to show the world that you are human beings and whole people that have lots of other other things going on too? Um, Anuba, how about you? Something that Something that brings you joy over these summer months? Oh, sure. Um, uh, number one is being able to spend more time with my kids. And continuing with that, we are, we are planning a trip the whole of next week to go to Quebec City. Uh, I just love the architecture and everything. We are hoping that the Canadian smoke has, smoke has cleared out. And so. um, we are a big foodie family. So we love, love, love the French cuisine that we can get right next door without having to travel to France. Well, safe travels to you. I hope you enjoy the food and the fun. Uh, how about you, Kristen? So I, um, we have these two rustic cabins that I like to call tents with walls. And they do have some indoor plumbing um, up on Lake George. So uh, we try to spend as much time um, up here during the summer as we can. And um, so spend time with my kids as well. And I have grandkids. So I get to spend time with my grandbabies. Beautiful. They're so cute. <laughs> so <laughs> that's how I recharge. <laughs> Good, good. Wonderful to know. And like we all keep saying, the semester will be here before you know it. We have a new class of business Bronx coming in, um, and I'm sure it'll be wonderful for you to see uh, the students that I'm, sh I'm sure you miss as busy as you are. So I would like to thank you for being here on Off the Clock. Congratulations on the publication, but also more importantly, on the work itself. So thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you.
And we'll be right back with the Off The Clock Podcast, only on 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. And we're back with Off The Clock with Dean Kuchar here on 1077 The Bronx, the 2023 winner of the IBS Media Award for Best College Radio Station of the Year. Welcome back to Off The Clock. I'm joined now by Charles Ray, our guests and members of the Off The Clock team. Thank you all for being here for my favorite part of the episode, Game Time. It's game time. Sticking with the flow of this special episode, we only have two guests competing this time, Drs. Anuba Mishra and Kristen McCarthy. They so nicely shared how they've been working with each other. Today, they're playing against each other. It's about to go down in a minute. And to remind everyone listening, our guests are each playing today's game time segment on behalf of a student randomly drawn from our social media network. Kristen, could you please tell us who you're playing for? And bringing it home for Bridget Teal. And Anuba, who are you playing for? I am playing it for Colby McNeely. Okay, so Colby and Bridget are listening intently now. Thank you, contestants. As usual, we have two fun games to play. Our first is the return of a game we call Weird Science. With this game, we recognize that almost anything can be worth studying. Charles, please tell us more. Absolutely, Jean. So one need only look to the Ig Nobel Prizes, which is a parody of the Nobel Prizes awarded each year for research achievements that make people laugh and then make them think. Contestants, both of you each will hear a description of an actual study that was recognized by the Ig Nobel Prize Committee, but we'll leave out one key variable. We will ask you to name the missing variable. Now, admittedly, this will be tough, which is why you'll receive a whopping eight points if you get this answer correct. Otherwise, we will give you a clue. If you get it right after receiving the clue, you'll receive four points. And if not, we'll give you one additional clue. If you get it right then, that is after clue number two, you'll get two points. Let's go. Kristen, you're up first. The 2022 prize in biology was awarded to Sola Mary Garcia Hernandez and Glauco Machado for studying how blank is associated with the mating life of scorpions. Water temperature. That was a good guess. And you said it with some authority. It's not the right answer. But I like that you have a guess. And we did not honestly expect anyone to know, which is why we moved to clues. Trisha. It isn't like there's a scorpion pharmacy where they can pick up scorpion Miralax or Dulcolax. Digestion. We'll accept digestion. We will accept digestion. The actual pure answer was constipation. Oh. As is, I, I have some information here. As a survival mechanism, scorpions, when being attacked by predators, can voluntarily remove their tail in a process called autonomy, which I'll tell you means something very different than in the management literature. However, the removal of the tail comes also with the removal of the scorpion's anus, rendering defecation completely impossible and constipation, therefore, inevitable. So who says you don't learn something on off the clock? You've got some points for your performance there. Congratulations, Kristen. Thank you. Go Bridget. All right, Anuba, you're up next. Just last year, a 2022 Ig Nobel Prize was awarded to Robin Radcliffe, Mark Jago, and their 11 co-authors 
for determining that it was much more effective to transport an airborne rhinoceros. How? Clue, please. Clue. <laughs> she's not even wagering a guess there. <laughs> Smartly, she's going with clue number one, Trisha. In the study, the other condition that led to much worse results was laying on its side on a stretcher. Sitting on an airplane seat, belted. <laughs> oh, belted on an airplane seat is a good guess. But it will move us to clue number two. Reading this full article would be sure to turn your frown blank. Brown, upside down. Upside down, you got it. That is the correct <laughs> answer. The team of researchers aimed to see if it would be safer to move rhinos upside down, right side up or on their side. All told, according to markers such as blood oxygen levels, upside down seems to win out. Let's move on to our second game. We have uh, Kristen McCarthy with four points, Anuba Mishra with two points. We're leaning into our summer vacation theme here. And what says summer vacation more than a good old-fashioned family road trip? And whether you're driving in Canada, Lake George, or anywhere else, you need games to make the time pass. Our very own Liz Carrion loves to play road trip games even when she's not on a road trip. Today, she's here at work at Ryder, but she still wants to play her favorite car game which is I Spy. Contestants, when it's your turn, Liz will tell you that she spies with her little eye on the Ryder campus. If you get it right, you will earn two points. If you get it wrong, your opponent will have an opportunity to steal for one point. We'll have three rounds of this game, so each contestant can score anywhere between zero to nine points. In this game, Anuba, you're gonna go first. I spy with my little eye something bronze. Um, the statue next to the uh, uh, the pub, <laughs> the statue of the founder of Ryder. I'm gonna give her that one. The pub is in the BLC. The statue is actually as you're walking into the front door of the BLC, and it's of Andrew J. Ryder, who is indeed the founder of Ryder, and by Jeopardy rules with last name it counts. So. <laughs> You've got two points there <laughs> for the bronze statue of Andrew J. Ryder casually sitting on the bench outside of the BLC. We got there. All right, Kristen, so it's your go. I spy with my little eye something that starts with the letter D. Department of Management. Oh, good guess. It's not the Department of Management. Anuba, would you like to steal? Daily's? Daily's Dining Hall is correct. I spy with my little eye something wet. Pawn near the hammock. It has a name. I don't know if it has a name. It has a name. Chris, I'm making an executive decision to split this at one point and one point. Do you know the name of the body of water? No. I like the Centennial Lake. Lake. It's lovely, especially around this time of year. All right. So, Kristen, it's back to you. I spy with my little eye something peaceful. The <laughs> That's a good guess. They're getting harder as we go along, but it's not correct. Uh, Anuba, can you steal what is something peaceful? Peaceful? The gazebo by the lake. See, these are all peaceful, but they're not the correct answer. What, Liz, what is it that you saw? The Zen Den. You're 
not familiar with the Zen Den, it is on the main floor of the BLC. I'm happy that it's finding its way onto the Off the Clock podcast for people to find out about the Zen Den. All right, Anuba, your go. I spy with my little eye something heavy. Now that could be the rock, the rider rock. Is that your final answer? Yeah. Liz, is that what you saw? That is totally what I saw. Congratulations. Back to Kristen. I spy with my little eye something that did not get refurbished with the rest of Swaggart Hall. The second and third floor bathrooms. Oh, I know that we really wanted to work on the patio that connects the outside of the third floor uh, meeting room, 302. No, what I saw was the Swaggart boardroom. 208. You walk into 208 is our time capsule. All the the rest, it's still beautiful. All of Swaggart is beautiful. And um, you're not necessarily wrong, Kristen, with the bathrooms. Um, I would say specifically (laughs) looking at something with her little eye. Let's review the scores. I've got Anuba with eight and Kristen with four, which means Anuba made a comeback in the second game and takes it four. Remind us of the student. Colby McNeely. Thank you so much for being on this episode of Off the Clock and for playing Game Time. I want to give a big thank you to Dr. Anuba Mishra and Dr. Kristen McCarthy for being my guests here on the episode. Thank the entire Off the Clock team and you for listening. I think by now you know our faculty are dedicated to developing students with the competence, the skills, the readiness that they have for their careers. They're on the clock doing all of that, and we are here off the clock, happy to talk about it. Thank you for listening and keep on learning. Thank you for joining us for the Off the Clock podcast here on 1077 The Bronx, the 2023 winner of the IBS Media Award for Best College Radio Station of the Year. And a special thanks goes to our hosts, Dr. Gene Kucher, our production staff, Trisha Adams, Liz Carrion, and Astu Cop, and everyone at the all-new digital broadcast studios of 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com, including the incomparable John Moses. This is your OTC announcer, Charles Ray, saying see you next time when we can get together off the clock.